Well, good morning, Abundant Life. How are you? Good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. And I want to welcome our campuses in Sandy and Vancouver. And those of you watching online, thank you for being with us today. We are continuing this series that we started about three weeks ago called Masterpiece. And I want you to repeat after me this phrase. I'm going to have you do this at the beginning of every message in this series, okay? Today is a gift that God has given me. And what I do with it is my gift back to him. Therefore, I will make every day a masterpiece. You guys sound great. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a masterpiece, okay? All right. You are a masterpiece. All right. Okay, I hope you really believe that, that, that every day is a gift that God has given to you and that what we do with it, in essence, is our gift back to Him. At the end of each day, we say, God, here's the gift that you gave to me and that you would make it a masterpiece, that you would live it in such a way that you know you did the best you could and that you aligned yourself with the things that you knew were important and that you wanted to develop and be very intentional about in your life because whenever we live life intentionally, we are living life at the highest level. But unfortunately, what happens is oftentimes people will live their life by default as opposed to living their life by design. I see many people just kind of drifting through life, and every day just kind of comes and goes and comes and goes. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no direction. There's no intentionality involved with it. But when we live our life by design, it's because I've determined what really is important to me, and I'm organizing my day around those things that I've determined are important, the things that are valuable to me. And remember, we talked about when you and I can figure out what is it we really value in life, the things that I believe to be important, and then live my life, that my daily actions are in alignment with those values, then that brings a sense of integrity. There's a sense of strength, and there's a sense of meaning and purpose and intentionality and all that comes with that. On the other hand, if my actions are out of alignment with my values, then there's a sense of chaos. So there's a sense of confusion and it weakens my life and it actually leads to um, issues of, of uh, lack of self-respect because I know, I'm, I, I say I believe this, but I'm actually living this way and so it leads to a greater sense of uh, disrespect to your own life, and so you lack self-respect. So what I encourage you to do is to, to try to figure out what's really important. Make big decisions once, and then manage them on a daily basis. And the reason for that is because what happens is we tend to over-exaggerate yesterday, and sometimes we overestimate tomorrow, and we underestimate today. The irony of it is we know that we'll be wherever we are tomorrow based upon what we do today. You'll be wherever you are tomorrow based upon what you deem to be important today. And so what I encourage you to do is to live your life in such a way that, that you are making decisions now that your future self will look back and say, thank you. Thank you, George so that you make decisions today so that one year from now or five years from now, maybe 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20, maybe 30 years from now, you'll look back at yourself and you'll say, George, 
thank you for making the decisions you made back in 2017 because I'm where I am now because of the decisions you made back then. Now, again, don't overestimate tomorrow, but you see the correlation between the two. Make relational decisions today where 15 years from now, you'll be glad you made those decisions. Make financial decisions today where you'll be glad 15, 20 years from now, you'll be glad you made those decisions. Make health decisions. Make relational decisions. Make spiritual decisions today so that 15 years, 20 years down the road, you'll look back and say, I'm so glad I made those decisions when I made them back then. And now you're living your life with intentionality because you've designed it around things that matter the most to you. Now, in this series, from here on out, I'm going to be identifying some of the areas that I think are important. Remember, in this series, I, I drew you just a little, this wheel of life, and I identified some areas that, that are important to me, things like faith and family and finances and the future and my fitness and stuff like that. Those are things that I've determined are important. You've got to figure out what's important to you. But today, I'm going to start picking some of those and talking about them in the rest of this series. Today, I want to talk about the whole area of your faith. Because I, I believe of all that I'm going to speak about from here on out, this is the most important area, your faith. The Bible has a lot to say, as you would expect, to say about faith. One of the most popular verses is Hebrews 11.5, or 11.6, rather. Read this with me, everybody at our campuses, with great enthusiasm. Here we go. It is impossible to please God without faith. Notice he doesn't say, it is unlikely that you'll please God without faith. He says, it is what? Impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible for you and me to please God without faith. Why is that? I believe it's because, obviously, faith is how we come into the kingdom, and faith is how we live life in the kingdom. And when you and I are living by faith, we're positioning ourselves to where we're having to trust God. We're having to trust him. I believe that there's two kinds of faith, actually. Essentially, there's what I would call saving faith. Saving faith is what brings you into God's kingdom. That, it's that which gets you into the family of God. It is by grace you are saved through what? Faith. Through faith. It's by grace. It's by God's grace that you're saved through faith. So you come to God through Jesus Christ by faith. And that gets you into the kingdom. Gets, it gains you citizenship into heaven. But once you and I have come to faith in Jesus, now we need to live our life by faith. So the second kind of faith is what I would just simply call living faith. It's an active kind of faith so that every day you're living your life in such a way that it expresses that you value your faith and that you're trusting God. And so sometimes that means you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. How many of you like stepping out of your comfort zone? Nobody rarely likes stepping out of their comfort zone. I can understand that. I like my security. I like my comfort. I like things to be safe and sound and predictable. And it's not always fun to step out of the comfort zone and to step in what I would sometimes call the faith zone. But sometimes you have to do that in order to 
put yourself in a position where you're learning to trust God and experience him in ways that maybe you've never experienced him before. I remember when I moved here to start this church in 1989, and I was only 33 years old, and I had never been a senior pastor. I'd never preached on a regular basis. I knew nothing about leadership, and I thought, God, I'm in deep weeds I'm in deep kimchi here, God. You know, I need you to come through, and you need to show up because if you don't show up, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be a disaster. This is going to be embarrassing, and I need for you to show up, okay, or else you're going to look bad, okay? And so, and so I said, God, you got to show up, and, and I think you did. I think you did in a phenomenal way, and uh, I think you did immeasurably more than all I could ask or dream or imagine, Ephesians 3.20, which is a verse that we we actually moved out here on from Indianapolis. And so when you, if you look through the Bible, in fact, if you look through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that there was only one thing that amazed Jesus. That amazed him. You were thinking, well, what could amaze Jesus? Because he created everything. I mean, if you stop and look at it, he, Jesus was never amazed at anybody's righteousness Jesus was never amazed at anybody's hard work. Jesus was never amazed at anybody's uh, material possessions. There's only one thing that Scripture records that amazed him. Does anybody want to take a guess as to what it is? It's faith. It's faith. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is, where the centurion had a, had a servant who was sick and about to die. And so he sent a delegation of his people to go and find Jesus and to ask Jesus to heal his servant. He didn't feel worthy to even be in Jesus' presence, and so he sent a delegation to do that. And the word he sent with them was, if Jesus, if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And so when this delegation of people came and they told that to Jesus, it's like he said, like, wow. He says, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at their faith. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And he was amazed at their faith. But you contrast that with another situation when Jesus basically said, I don't even go to my own hometown anymore because they don't believe. And, and I couldn't even do any miracles there except for maybe heal a few people. So nobody's getting blessed. And he made a statement. He says he was amazed at their lack of faith. It's the only thing that amazes Jesus is either our faith or our lack of faith. And so you and I have to ask ourselves the question, which is it about me? What's true about me? Is Jesus amazed at your faith or is he amazed at your lack of faith? It's a, it's a question worth wrestling with. What steps are you taking to demonstrate you have faith? Now, it's different for different people. It's different because what may be a step of faith for me is, is not a step of faith for you and, and vice versa. And, and what, you know, could be a little step for me could be a giant step for you and vice versa. So it's going to be different for different people, but you have to figure out, you know, what's, what's the step of faith. And so today I want to talk specifically about how today's faith, because we're talking about making every day a masterpiece, today's faith gives me peace. Last week we talked about how uh, today's values give me direction. They give direction to my life. Now we're talking about these different values. The first one being faith and how faith will give 
peace to my life. How many of you could stand to have just a little bit more peace in your life? You know, a lot of us could. How many of you would agree that we live in a world that can be pretty stressful? It can be pretty stressful. I mean, it seems like every day there's something going on. There's not a day that goes by that we don't hear about another shooting in a school or we hear about another terrorist attack in another part of the country or here in America or uh, another day doesn't go by that we don't hear about another child being abducted or we hear about some other kind of catastrophe or we get news of a friend or a loved one who, who has been diagnosed with cancer and all of these things. And so all of those things remind us of the temporal nature of this world in which we live. In fact, I would say, if I were to summarize why, why most of us live with a sense of uneasiness, it's because this world was never intended to be our home. It never was intended to be our home, and so since we're not at home here, you're never going to be fully at peace here. And, and so, but, but, but the irony of that is, you still can have peace. How many of you would agree with me that even though we live in, in a world that seems hopelessly lost, you can still have peace? Anybody? Is it yes or no? Yeah. Yes, 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 you can. You, you can still have peace. You, you can have peace in a world that seems so unstable, but you can still have a, a sense of deep inner peace. And that's what I want us to talk about today. How many of you know what is the most often repeated command in the, in the Bible? To fear not. It's to fear not. The, what, what people tell us is that uh, fear not is, is given at least 365 times. There are 365 times the Bible says something like fear not or do not be afraid or some variation of that. One, one writer said there's actually 366 so that leap year is covered also. And so there's one for basically every day of the year. And I could give you verse after verse after verse that talks about that. But Isaiah 44, for example, is a great verse. And, and I want you to read this with me. Let's read this. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And so that's a great promise for you and me to claim. I encourage you to, to do that. In John chapter 16 is another verse. Let's read this together. Again, those of you at our campuses, let's read this. You can have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble, but be brave. I have defeated the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, be brave. Be brave. Turn to somebody and tell them, you know, buck up, okay, and be brave, all right? Just be brave. You, you, can, you can be brave because Jesus is your rock. He's the one that can keep you steadfast in a world that's so unstable. One of my favorite quotes is that we owe it absolutely to God to fear nothing. I love that quote because by nature, I... I tend to fear. I, I tend to live with a certain amount of fear. I think probably most people do to some degree because I like to study personalities. The S personality, which I've told you is my highest, tends to lean toward being fearful. And so I've latched on to that, that quote that we owe it absolutely to God to fear nothing. Now, when you bring up the topic of faith, however or related topics like Jesus or God or church or something like that, have you noticed that people tend to get just a little bit weird or the conversation can go awkward? 
And that's one reason why we don't like having conversations with people about God and about church because people get weird and wigged out and, and, and it just seems to be awkward. And you've noticed that different people respond differently to the topic of faith. For example, some people just ignore it. They, they just want to ignore the topic of faith and just not discuss it. They don't see it as something that applies to them. It's just not relevant for me. And so they want to ignore the topic of faith and just not discuss it. Some people misunderstand it. I mean, let's face it, spirituality and, and God and, and uh, things of, of faith, um, it, it can be difficult to comprehend. And, and sometimes people just can't get their hands around it. It's like trying to grab smoke or something. And it's like, I, I just can't get my hands around this, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's just, you know, it just, it just makes sense to me. And so they misunderstand it. Some people discount it. They, they, they think that if you're a person of faith, that if you really believe in God and believe in Jesus, that you're absolutely an idiot to do that. Because, yeah, it'd make a great fairy tale or it'd make a great bedtime story about this God who's all-knowing and who's all-powerful and who loves us unconditionally and he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sins and then he was put in a grave and then three days later he rose to life and and they ascended back to heaven and then one day he's going to return and take us all to this place called heaven where we'll live ever ever forever everlasting well that's a fairy tale you know and you're ridiculous to believe that. You're, you're kind of an idiot to, to believe something like that. And so some people, ju- they just discount the whole thing. Some people just fight it. They fight it with everything in them. They dig their heels in. And even though they maybe were raised in a faith culture or they had people who, who are in their family who are people of faith, they just fight it tooth and nail and they just, just don't want to have anything to do with it. Some people are turned off by it. You bring up the topic of faith. I remember one time just simply asking a person, where do you attend church? And she says, I don't want to talk about it. And she stonewalled me like nobody's business and just didn't want to talk about it. And they're just turned off by the topic of faith. And I can understand why some people would be turned off to church or turned off to faith or turned off to God or turned off to Christians because they, they look at, you know, misguided Christians who, who stand out and picket, you know, and shout mean things to people and hateful slogans and words and Maybe they've seen one too many televangelists, or maybe they got hurt in church somewhere along the line. And so they just, they're turned off by the whole notion. And then some people delay it. Instinctively, they believe that there's a God, and instinctively, they know that there's a spiritual dimension to life. It's just that, you know, I'll make that decision one of these days. One of these days, I'll get serious about my faith. One of these days, I'll get serious about God. And so they just delay the decision. And then lastly, some people actually want to explore it. There are people out there, who they, they want to explore the topic of faith. And I hope that if you're a person who's here today, or you're one of our campuses, or you're watching online today, and you haven't come to faith in Jesus, uh, that you'll be one of those people who say, I'm, I'm willing to explore the topic of faith and learn more about it. So what's the big deal about faith? I mean, why would faith find its way? I mean, as you come up with what's important to you, I hope that your faith finds its way into that list somewhere or another. But, but what's the big deal about faith? Why does it even matter? Even, even um, uh, skeptics will tell you that faith is important, 
they'll tell you that spiritual things are important. For example, Wolfgang Goethe made this statement. He says, I'm fully convinced that the soul is indestructible and that its activity will continue throughout eternity. This is a skeptic, but yet he believes that. French philosopher and Jesuit priest Pierre uh, Tillhard said this, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. I mean, stop and think about it. A lot of people think, well, you know, as a, as a physical being, uh, I think spirituality is important. And, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe in the top ten. And so I'm going to show up at church and I've got to make sure I get my spiritual experience this week. When in actuality, you're a spiritual being. You just happen to be having a physical experience. You're created in the image of God, and you are a spiritual being, and your spirit will live on for eternity. And, and, so, and, and so that's why faith matters. And so let's talk about this. Why does it matter? Here's number one. Faith gives me an eternal perspective. Perspective is really important, and faith gives me an eternal perspective. If all you're living for is what this earth can provide for you, then at best, you're going to be unhappy your entire life. At worst, you're going to be depressed your entire life because this earth cannot give you what it is you're truly looking for. It just can't do it. This life on earth is not what we were ultimately designed for. We were designed for eternity. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, let's, let's, let's read this verse together. For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. How many of you are looking forward to your everlasting home in heaven? Yeah, so like a lot of the older people are just like, yeah, you know, I can't wait. You know, some of you are enjoying way too much this life on earth. You say, no, I don't, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I want to go. I just don't want to go right now. And, and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is another verse. Again, all of our campuses right here. Let's read this together. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. How many of you want a new body? Raise your hand. Yes, as long as they praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that good? That, that God is working right now to fashion for you a, a, a new body, and it's, it's one like you never believe. And, and I don't know fully what that's going to be like, but, but what these verses and other verses like it remind us of is, is that you and I are just passing through. You're just passing through, and this was never intended to be your eternal home. The Bible uses words like pilgrim and aliens and strangers, and our citizenship is in heaven. You see, there are a lot of things in life that are difficult to understand unless you have a faith perspective, unless you have an eternal perspective. If you have an eternal perspective, then you can deal more effectively with some of the challenges and some of the things that cause us to, you know, like, like oh, man, you know, why did that happen? You know, how in the world can that, that happen? And, and you begin to have an eternal perspective and you understand there's more to life than just what you and I can see with their, with their earthly eyes. I love what Philip Yancey said. Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. 
It's trusting right now what is only going to make sense on the other side of eternity. And that's a faith perspective. I came across this, this reading that kind of captures the power of a faith perspective. It's a little bit hokey, but, but I'm going to read it anyway because it, it kind of gets the point, okay? I'm standing on the seashore. A ship appears and spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the ocean. She is an object of beauty, and I stand watching her till at last she fades away on the horizon. And someone at my side quietly says, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my vision, that's all. She is just as large as when I saw her last. The diminished size and total loss of sight is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says she's gone, there are others who are watching her arrive and voices say, there she comes. Have you ever been you know, to the beach like Puerto Vallarta or, 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 or Hawaii or Cabo San Lucas and there's a big cruise ship, you know, right there, as big as life is like you can reach out and touch the thing, and then the day comes when it leaves. How many of you sit there and watch that thing just, just kind of go and go and get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's like you can't see it anymore? Has it disappeared? Is it gone? No. It's just as it's just big as it ever was. It's just you can't see it because it's out of your sight. Well, that's the way it is with this eternal perspective. There are things that, that we think are gone and they're out of our sight, but if you have an eternal perspective, you realize that this life is not all there is, that on the other side, there are people who are saying, ah, here she comes, you know, <laughs> there he is. And, and it's just a different perspective of looking at life. Here's number two, faith gives me better health. Faith gives me better health. You and I were magnificently created. We were intricately created in such a way we were designed by God with the intention of our physical, our mental, and our spiritual all being connected to work together to bring optimal health. They all three work together. Many people, I don't think, realize that, but, but they all work together. And just as our bodies, our physical bodies need nutrition, good nutrition, and exercise in order to be healthy, so do our minds and so do our souls. You need to feed your soul and your mind good food, and you need to exercise it. And, and when you do that, you are a healthier person. One study, an extensive study, uh, by the Health Benefits of Christian Faith, um, this study was done of 1,200, um, actually 1,200 studies over, with over 400 reviews, and the doctors came to this conclusion. They said the overwhelming majority of scientific studies highlight the positive health benefits of faith, including protection from illness, coping with illness, and faster recovery from it. They highlighted one study which showed regular churchgoers had, the life, ex had life expectancy up to 14 years longer than those who did not attend services. Okay? So if you come not just once, but if you'll keep coming regularly, regularly, guess what? You can maybe live 14 years longer. Okay? And I see some of you have put that to the test, and you've proven it to be true. Okay, yeah, in fact, you're outliving the 14 years, okay? Other health benefits would include things like increased sense of well-being, hope and optimism, lower rates of depression and suicide, less loneliness, and less alcohol and drug abuse. And so, so faith uh, has an impact on my physical well-being as well. Here's number three. Faith gives me strength. 
Faith gives me strength. And what I mean by that is I'm talking about the kind of power that keeps you going when life knocks you down, when life beats you up, when life beats you down. How many of you have discovered that life has a way of just beating you up? It does. Life gets hard. Life gets difficult. And sometimes things come out of the blue where you never saw them coming. And I've seen it happen in this church over and over and over again. And yet I see people, because of their faith, they rise strong and they find their way through it. And they they will tell you that I would never have made it through were it not for my faith. Your faith gives you strength. It gives you the strength to keep going when you're worn out. How many of you are worn out today? Okay, and you're tired. Okay, your faith will keep you going. Faith will will give you the strength to forgive when you've been wronged by someone. Faith will give you the strength to forgive yourself when you've made poor decisions. I love what uh, the prime minister of New Zealand said. He says, faith draws the poison from every grief It takes the sting from every loss, and it quenches the fire of every pain. That's what faith does. Another writer said, where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. If you don't have faith in the future and what God has in store for you, you lose the power of today. What's the Bible say? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is what? It's your strength. And in order to have that, you've got to have faith in what God has in store for you. Mother Teresa said, faith keeps the person who keeps the faith. Now, here's the deal when it comes to faith. Here's number one. We all have faith in something, don't we? We all have faith in something. The question is, what is that something? What do you have your faith in? I guarantee you, you have faith In something, I I love what author John Bisogno wrote. He said, faith is at the heart of life. You go to a doctor whose name you cannot pronounce. He gives you a prescription you cannot read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never seen. He gives you medicine you do not understand, and yet you take it. Okay? How many of you this morning took pills and you have no idea what you took? Anybody here? Not a, not a one of you? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I did. Okay, I mean, I'm, I know what they're for, but, but I can't pronounce them, and, and I don't know the farmer. In fact, my pills, I don't even go to the pharmacy to get them. I have them mailed to me, this thing called pill pack. How many of you have discovered pill pack? That's just a little advertisement for pill pack. I have no idea where they're coming from. I have no idea who filled them, and who knows what they put in that little white packet, but I pop them in my mouth every morning and every evening. Why? Because I have faith in something. Okay? And so do you. So do you. We all have faith in something. The question is, what are you putting your faith in? Sometimes people put their faith in their material possessions, their job, the economy, the government, science, a spouse, and we put our faith in all kinds of things. The question is, what are we putting our faith in? What have we determined is really valuable when it comes to our faith? And my heart for you is that when we talk about faith, that it's not just some etherical thing out there that's theoretical, but it's very practical, and that you will learn to put your faith in the truth of what God says in his word through Jesus when he says this in John chapter 14. Let's read this together. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. I hope you believe that. I hope that you'll put your faith in it. I hope you'll stand upon this truth that, that Jesus said. Here's another one in John chapter 8, verse 32. Let's read this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, that's, that's a statement upon which you can build your life because you're going to build your life on something. You're going to have faith in something. And my heart for you is that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's number two. Faith is often birthed in foxholes or out of futility. Faith is often birthed in foxholes or out of futility. Some people, they turn to God when life takes a turn for the worse. And that's okay. I understand that. I mean, there's probably a lot of people listening to me today that you came to faith in, in Jesus because you were at a place in your life where life took a turn for the worst. And you knew, you knew you needed something other than your own strength. And so you turned to God. And that's okay because that happens all the time. I love what a military chaplain in World War II said, there are no atheists in foxholes. There's no atheists in foxholes. And some of you are in foxhole moments right now in your life. And my suggestion would be turn to God. Turn, turn to God. Now, I know that there are people who turn to God when things are going well. That's, that's true also. The reality is you need God when things are going bad, and you need God when things are going good. You, you just need God all of the time. Obviously, you need God when things are going bad because you don't have the strength and the wherewithal to deal with it on your own. But you also need God when things are going good. Why? Because if you don't have faith in God and you start putting your faith in those things that are causing life to be good to you, eventually you're going to find out how meaningless they are apart from God. And you'll start putting your faith in those things as opposed to keeping your faith in God. Here's number three. Faith must be exercised. You've got to exercise your faith. Just like physical muscles, they have to be stretched, they have to be exercised, they have to be developed, they have to be tested. And, and so you have to exercise. I think that's one of the reasons the Bible uses so many uh, athletic analogies to describe our faith. And he talks about the testing of our faith and the stretching of our faith. In Colossians chapter 2, let's, let's read this together. Again, all of, at our campuses, let's read this together. And by the way, this is your memory verse for this week. So with great enthusiasm, here we go. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. So just as you came to Jesus by faith, continue to grow in him by faith. And again, that means taking steps of faith where your faith is going to be tested where your faith is going to be tried. And, and sometimes your faith is tested and tried you know, from things that happen in life where life just gets difficult. And First Peter tells us this, that these trials, they're only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And I love this next phrase, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. Isn't that a great phrase? Your faith is far more precious to God. Than, than pure gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. So how do I manage the discipline of faith? Because remember, one of the statements that I made early on 
in the first part of this message is make big decisions once and then manage them daily. Most people don't think about managing their faith. But you need to manage your faith just like you manage any other part of your life. So how do you do that? I mean, in one sentence or one phrase, it would be just live like Jesus, okay? Every day, live like Jesus. You remember the phrase or the bracelet used to say, you know, what would Jesus do? Okay? I think that was a great, a great slogan. That was great. Somebody probably made a bunch of money off of that. But what would Jesus do? I mean, that's a great way to manage your faith. But let's talk about it just a little bit more. How do you do that? Here's the first thing. Embrace. Em- Everybody say Embrace. Embrace the value of faith in a God who loves you unconditionally. In other words, latch on to it. Wrap your arms around it. Lean into it. Clench it. Hold on to your faith. Just hold on to it because the time's going to come because you don't know the future, but, but I can almost guarantee the time's going to come when life's going to shake you and the storms are going to come and the, and the earthquakes are going to come and all that stuff that, that th- life throws at us. And you, you've got to be leaning into, you've got to embrace the value of the faith that you have in a God that you know loves you unconditionally, even in the difficult times of life. I read to you this, this passage in Matthew 7 last week, but I want to bring it back to you again where Jesus says, all who listen to my instructions and follow them are wise. They're like a man who built his house on a solid rock. And though though the rains come in torrents and the floods rise and the storms and the wind beat against the house, it won't collapse. Why? Because it's built on the rock. But those who hear my instructions and ignore them are foolish, like a man who builds his house on the sand. But when the rains and the floods come and the storm and when the winds beat against his house, it'll fall with a mighty crash. So you have to embrace the value of a faith in God who loves you unconditionally. Here's number two. Invite God. Everybody say invite. Invite God into every area of your life. Don't exclude him from any area of your life. You would agree with me that when we talk about faith, there are people out there who claim to be spiritual people. And you know people that they have a lot of spirituality. You know, they believe in something and and they're spiritual because they believe in this or that or whatever. When I talk about having faith as a high value, I'm not just talking about having faith in whatever. Because you don't want to again, climb your ladder only to come to the end of life, realize you are leaning against the wrong wall. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so inviting God into every single area of your life, okay? That's why if I were to take this and extend this out, God, okay, needs to be the center, and more specifically, Jesus Christ. You need to invite Jesus Christ into every single area area of your life. You cannot compartmentalize your faith. You need to invite Jesus into your, into your faith life, okay? Hopefully your faith is in Jesus. Invite Jesus into your family life, in your relationship with your spouse, into the relationship with your kids. Invite Jesus into your field of work, your career, your job. Invite him into your health life. You want to honor him with that. Invite him into your finances, into your friends. I'll talk about that in just a second into your free time, into your future. You you invite him into every single part of your life. Why? Because Jesus Christ needs to be the center of it all. Needs to be the center of it all. And so here's number, number three. Associate with people 
of faith. We're talking about managing this discipline of faith. It's very important who you associate with. It's very important. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. Bad company can corrupt your whole life. And so be very careful about who you spend your time with. Leadership experts say you become the average of the five people you most spend your time with. You, you become like the people you most spend your time with. And so associate with people of faith. That's why we all the time encourage you to get into small groups or to be at church. Or now we have our rooted groups that are taking place. We encourage you to get in those groups. Make that a part of your faith journey. Here's the bottom line. When it, when it comes to designing our life, you, you, cannot, you cannot have a day where every day is a masterpiece and exclude Jesus. You can't. You, you can have everything that this world has to offer you, and if you leave him out, then the reality is you've got nothing. And when you come to the end of your life, it will all have been meaningless. And, and every day between now and then, it'll seem like it's, it has no purpose, has no meaning, has no direction, has no significance. But the moment you bring Jesus into the center of your life and say, Jesus, I want you to take control of every single area of my life because you are the center of my life and, and you recognize that all of life is lived with his perspective and with the, the eternal perspective of one day spending eternity with Jesus, now it gives every day meaning. Every day has purpose. Every day has significance. And every day can be a masterpiece. You can have Jesus and have none of the rest of the stuff and you'll be okay. But if you have Jesus, then it brings meaning and purpose to every other area of your life. And it can be a masterpiece. And so today, I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're, if you're here listening to me today, if you're at one of our campuses and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior and Lord, I want to give you a moment to do that in just a second. This would be a great opportunity today for you to recommit to following Jesus, to recommit to Jesus Christ being the center of your life and invited into every area of your life. A great opportunity to recommit to following Jesus. If you're either one of those today, I invite you to pray this prayer with me aloud. So would you repeat this after me? Father in heaven, today I am so thankful for Jesus. And I recognize that Jesus is Lord of all that he created my life, and he gives my life meaning and purpose. Jesus, I invite you to be my Savior and Lord. I choose to follow you, and I invite you into every part of my life. I recommit to following you. I pray this in your name. Amen.